You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hello, everyone. My name is Daniel Shelton, and I have the honor of introducing our speaker, Zach Meerkrebs. Zach is a husband, father, and B-dubs connoisseur. Zach works at a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, where he specializes in development of missionaries and leaders. I've known Zach for about three years now, and we've certainly grown close. He has taught me a lot about Jesus, about leadership, and about being a man. He has been there for me through highs, lows, and everywhere in between. Zach has also taught me the importance of being grateful. So, while many know him as him, as pastor, reverend, or Coach Mir Creeps, I'm grateful to say I have a deeper relationship with Zach beyond these titles. Instead, I know him as the much cooler nickname, Mad Dog Mir Creeps. So without further ado, Mad Dog Mir Creeps. Speaking in public, as you can tell. He is tremendously gifted in many things, so I'm proud of you, Shelton. I'm proud of what God's done in your life during your time here. He's a leader, marked by Philippians 2, uh, which is the best kind of leader I know, so I'm honored. All right, my name is Zach. I've been here before. I have a chance uh, next week to preach, so if this one stinks, we'll try again next week. Um, I am honored to be here. I'm honored uh, to speak to you guys. And I want to speak about something that I'm super passionate about. And it's honestly a message that I wish someone preached to me when I was in college. It's a message that I think would have saved me a lot of pain and uh, making a fool of myself. So who loves pain and making a fool of yourself? No one. So let's listen up. Um, We're going to be in Romans. We started Romans 12. Dr. Baldwin opened us up the conversation of orienting our lives, even the finite things, talking about time and things like that, as an act of worship. Verse 2, it talks about, do not be conformed to the pieces or the things of this world, but with the renewing of your mind, uh, living a new way. And as we talk about love in action or becoming love in action, this is so key because love in action in the world and in culture is very different than what the Bible says love in action is. Would you agree? Like love in action in the world is liking Instagram photos. Like I love that guy, so I'm going to follow them. Right? Or I love that music, so I'll listen to him on Spotify. Or maybe love in action is being okay with certain sin in their lives. Oh, it's cool. Your truth is your truth. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to stay out of your business. That is not love in action. We're jumping right in. Are we there? Yeah? It's cold. It's chilly. It's Wednesday morning. Can we go there? Love in action is not that. Love in action for you as Asbury students. If you are here and you identify as a Christian, you have to be asking yourself, what does love in action look like for a Christian? Not what does love in action look like for everybody else? You follow me? And the best way to look at, as a Christ follower, what love in action is, is either watching Jesus, studying scripture, or being formed by the Holy Spirit in community. 
So we're going to open up scripture. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus. And hopefully this community will form you. So before we jump into Romans 12, I want to tell a story. This is a story about me learning what love in action is, okay? So before I gave my life to Christ, I was a pretty good soccer player. I think, honestly, Jesus took soccer away from me because he knew I wasn't able to steward both Jesus and soccer. I really do believe that. And it's generous of him. At the time, I was pretty frustrated about it. But I had just given my life to Christ. I went to college, and I played goalie in college at a school similar to this, okay? And I was like, I'm going to be love in action. I remember in the locker room, I had a verse on my locker, and I'm, I'm going to be love in action. And in my mind, what love in action is, was not to curse, okay? Like, that is the epitome of love in action, is not using swear words. So, I remember in a scrimmage, we were playing our rivals. Indiana Wesleyan's rival was Taylor University. I had a, we were a scrimmage, and I go up, okay, and usually I have... Uh, a, a partner in this illustration, but we don't have enough time. And I go up, and I'm a goalie, so I catch it really big. I'm not going to try to do that because I'm not shaped like a college athlete right now. I'll probably pull my hammy. And I'll go up, and this guy absolutely takes my feet out from under me. So imagine, like, I'm real eager. I'm a freshman. I'm loving action, but also a good soccer player, right? I don't know how that all mix at the time. And I go up, and I get the ball. He clears up my feet, and I'm on the ground, like, clobbered, right? And in my head, I'm like, love and action. I'm a Christian now, right? And I get up in this dude's face, which is not entirely love and action, right? I'm like, nose to nose. And in my head, I'm like, you're a Christian now, Zach. And I say, you're stupid. (laughs) In front of my bench, I was dating my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. They're all laughing at me, including my wife. I just call this guy stupid. And some of you guys, I tell that story not to be silly, but I tell that story, but I think a lot of us think love in action is purely just behaving, purely just using nice words and being kind, maybe giving money to the guy on the side of the street. Love in action is much more serious than not saying a curse word to someone who offends you or hurts you. Love in action is being transformed and guarding your heart so you can pour it out. Love and action. Romans 12, 3 through 8. Uh, Dr. Baldwin did a great job of saying, you know, Romans 1 through 11 is this Pauline systematic theology, which is a really Christian way to say the core beliefs of a Christian walk. Talks about sin, talks about power of the victory of the cross, things like that. And then he pivots in Romans 12 about how we should live. I forgot that I do slides. Boom! Check that out. Look at this. They made it easy for me. Giant green circle, that's this way. And the red circle goes the other way. Thanks. Um, Romans 12, 3 through 8. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And this is no offense to anyone like Madeline, who didn't ask anyone to stand. I love you. Uh, But we're going to stand. We're not worshiping the word of God. We're worshiping Jesus. But we're going to stand. And when I preach, we, we stand to honor the word of God because this is worth listening to, okay? So you're going to stand, and I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to say, this is the Word of God, and then you all, no matter what class, you like that? No matter the class, 
you say, and we believe it. Except if you don't believe it, be authentic, okay? But just don't say, like, the opposite. Just be kind and be quiet. Um, <laughs> that sounded way ruder than I have intended it to be. All right, Romans 12, 3 through 8, okay? For though, or through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. A little bit more, guys. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us, sorry, guys, boom. Check that out. Um, each of us exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the proportion of his face, a faith, if service in the serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of God. Well done, guys. You can sit. So ultimately, ultimately we learn about love and action from Scripture. We can look at examples at like heroic martyrs or missionaries or pastors or good dads and great neighbors, but we go to Scripture, okay? In Romans 12, 3 through 8, says this that we're going to unpack. So, as we, in, in um, summary, because of Romans 1 through 11, because of reorientation towards worship, which was a lot of what Dr. Baldwin talked about, the conforming and renewing of our mind versus two, how do we operate and work together? How do we become love in action? And what's interesting is, does anyone pick up the first thing that the Apostle Paul writes and goes uh, and addresses? Anyone? Verses, verse three. There's a cheat behind me. What is the first thing Paul addresses? It's pride. Hey, well done, Mazel tov. What is the first thing Paul addresses? Is we cannot become love and action if we have pride. Verse 3, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as of sound judgment, or the word is sobriety. Sobriety. Dr. Baldwin talks about, talked about sacrificing our, sac- our satisfaction, sacrificing our personal preference, and understanding the source of it all. This is so countercultural, even in this college. So, we go back to loving one another is stifled by pride. Who here would say, like, I struggle with pride? Thanks for being honest. I think pride manifests in tons of different ways. It manifests in tons of different ways, but loving one another is always stifled by pride. Because how can you love someone else when you are loving yourself at an inappropriate level? Does that make sense? I'm not saying get rid of self-compassion and self-love and understanding your value but pride puts yourself above everything else. And he, he says to think of ourselves, and he says, 
what was sound judgment, or in some translations, sobriety. I love the word sobriety. I think it's actually really valuable for people our age because we're, we talk about drunkenness, right? When you're drunk, you're not thinking straight. When you're drunk, you're foolish. And I think when we are high on ourselves, when we are prideful, we act drunk on pride, right? We don't think about anybody else. We're about ourselves. But he says in sound judgment or sobriety, which in definition I would say, do you look at yourself with accuracy? Are you self-aware? Are you self-aware of who you are and where your gifts came from? What are your shadows, places where you need to submit to other people's strengths? And what are your strengths, places you need to flex into strength? Do you know why you have what you have? Do you look at yourself with sound judgment? Do you walk in the chapel today in pride? Or do you come into chapel today knowing you're broken in need of a Savior and the filling of the Holy Spirit and to be fed spiritual food? One of my greatest stories, and I've shared this actually at multiple campuses. I was just in Minnesota at a campus called Crown College. There's an Asbury grad, Olivia Vincent, who's a chaplain there. Uh, I was there and I was talking about leadership. And I was telling about one of my favorite leaders that I admire. Okay, I have like a ministry crush on him. And he's your president. I think, I don't know if he's in chapel. I think he literally travels every single time I speak. I take that personally. (laughs) If he's out there. The first time I met your president, I saw love in action. And I saw humility, not pride, because of his self-awareness. You know what he was doing? He wasn't presenting his book. He wasn't in all purple with the tie. I'm the president of Asbury. He was cleaning toilets. He was cleaning the bathroom at our local church during the peak of COVID, and we could not find enough volunteers to clean bathrooms. That is a man who loves others and is becoming more love because he is not letting his pride stifle love in action. You have a man at the top submitted to the ultimate man at the top, Jesus, who does this perfectly. Jesus, Philippians 2, he comes. Though he could have come to be served, holding on to that title, Philippians 2, he releases it and takes the form of a servant. Servant all the way to death on the cross. And what happens because he dies on the cross? He's elevated, glorified, and brought up to heaven. Philippians 2, he doesn't let love stifled by pride. That's Jesus You have an example here. You probably have lots of examples here. Loving one another is stifled by pride. If you want to become love in action, you have to deal with pride. The next one, verses 4 through 5, says this, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of of another. Loving one another is sacrifice in comparison. Sacrifice in comparison. I get to travel to campuses for my job. And I would say that a college campus is most of the time just festering with comparison. 
Do you know what the word festering is? It's like a wound that goes bad. It smells like funky. So many campuses are festering with comparison. And what's heartbreaking is it's almost more in Christian campuses. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I think there's reasons why comparison, you know, you have this, you have this, uh, you have this department called missions and theology and ministry, right? And they're like the cream of the crop of Christians. I'm saying that sarcastically. And then you have leaders on campus, right? You have RAs and chaplains. You have captains on teams and you compare there. And then there's, and then there's people with lots of followers on social media or people who are uh, way less than others or Oh, and then you have the comparison of maybe you were sent off to school to learn a degree or get a degree, and there's all these expectations, and what if you don't line up with your big brother or little sister or whoever? Or maybe you just really, really honor a professor, and you're like, I'm never going to be like that guy. Or maybe you sit in chapel, and you hear dudes like me who are broken in need of a Savior every morning and say, well, I can't do that. Do you know the cost of comparison? Are you willing to be fierce against comparison? He's saying, before I move on into all this love stuff, we are one body. Different members, but one body. Does that remind you of another passage? 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about the same spirit, and he uses this body illustration. Praise God for sticky notes. He uses this illustration in uh, Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 26. It uses, it puts these people in, in or it relates people to specific body parts. Verse 15, verse, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. In verse 16, and if the ear says, because I'm not and I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And then you jump down to 21. And then the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. So verse 15 and 16 are body parts saying, I'm not as good as the other body part. Well, I'm not as blank, so I'm less needed. Do you compare to someone sitting next to you in a way that disqualifies you or paralyzes you to live out love and action? To live out just being loved by Jesus. Pride usually manifests in comparison two different ways. It cripples you. Your eyes are so much on yourself and you compare and you feel like I'm not good enough. That's still pride. Does that make sense? It's saying you know better than Jesus. Or like verse 21, you're comparing and saying, I don't need those people. Yeah, I don't need that. Who here is involved with athletics? Okay. So how much percentage on campus, Dr. Baldwin, would you say? So 30% athletes. Athletes get this, right? As you can see, my body is not made to be a center in basketball, right? I'm little, I'm not quick, 
Not so strong. Okay? I need a center. If I was on a basketball team, I need a center to do center things. Right? In athletics, I was a goalie, so I'm not sprinting down the field. Right? Comparison cripples and sacrifices love and action. I want to pause and pray. Is anyone here brave enough, courageous enough to identify and saying like, hey, comparison has been eating my lunch. Like it's, it's the bully I listen to every morning. Because it usually takes one person to be bold. Yeah, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're literally going to pause and pray right now, okay? So if you're willing, raise your hand. If you're willing, stand up and people can move towards you and pray or extend your arms. If this is weird to you, welcome to Zach Mirakrebs. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe some people will be at least acknowledge that Jesus sees them, okay? So if you are struggling with comparison, we're going to pause and pray real quick, okay? And we're, if you don't struggle with comparison, be a good friend and pray for the people in the room that does, okay? We believe in the Holy Spirit. Don't have to stick to the script all the time, right? So if you struggle with comparison, would you make yourself known? We're going to pray for you. Awesome. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Proud of you. Proud of you. So if you see them, why don't you move towards them or extend your arms, okay? If you're sitting next to them and they don't give you laser beam eyes, you can put a hand on them, right? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that we can come to you in our brokenness, in our weakness. There's many people in this room that are heavy with something, and it might not be comparison, but would you just give them courage right now to maybe make themselves known because we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the gospel here. We believe that the Father loves us so much that he is leaning in and wants to speak love over people and free people. But Jesus, right now we pray for the people that struggle in comparison. And they sacrifice love in ways that they, they maybe not do it on purpose. Jesus, I pray for one next step of freedom. I, pr- I pray that they would set their eyes on you, Jesus, and nothing else. Not to the left and the right. Not to family history or titles. But their eyes would be on you, Jesus. Would you set them free? And would this place be a Christian community that is fierce against comparison? so we might love one another and others well. Thanks for the courage. Return to them any any, uh, energy that took by making themselves known. Father, would you speak over your sons and daughters? We all said? Amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. So 1 Corinthians is a great illustration of how comparison sacrifices love in action. Okay, the next one is this. Loving one another subdues, is subdued in competition. Now, when I say competition, I'm not looking at Daniel Shelton and say, hey, don't try hard and work hard on the soccer field. Does that make sense? Or if you're a board game person, I'm saying, hey, if you work hard to win board games, you don't love one another. Don't get caught up on that. But in the world today, I would say also competition is often stirred up on a campus, right? I did this on a, great, on a test. How did you do? Oh. 
I'm in these many clubs. I got this scholarship. I'm going, seniors, competition is big right now, right? Hey, have you heard the question, hey, what's next for you? Anyone? Right? And we're tempted to compare and compete. Oh, that guy got a great internship, or that girl got a great job, or that girl got engaged, and that guy got engaged. And we compete, and we, feel, we tear ourselves down. Verses 6 through 8 talks about vibrancy next to vibrancy. He's listing seven gifts, and he says, if you got that gift, use it. Prophecy, do it. Serving, do it. Teach, do it. Exhort, do it. Generosity, do it. Lead, do it. Mercy, do it. He does not look at the person who's gifted in mercy and ask them why they're not leading well. They're not competing. It's vibrancy next to vibrancy. He's not looking at the one who's, who has the gift of mercy and saying, why aren't you being generous? Why don't you measure each other on, on generosity? No, he's saying be vibrantly who you are. Vibrantly who you are. Can I ask seven people to stand up? Seven. I went to Indiana Wesleyan, but I know math. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Awesome. Sorry, dude. All right. Do you understand how beautiful and gifted these people are? Do you understand that? Do you understand how beautifully they're made and how God has deposited things in you, Liam, that hasn't deposited anyone else in this room? Do you know that? Zay, I don't know your name, but sister, brother, brother. So when we compete, if you're staring at each other, you don't get to be vibrant yourself. Then we lose how you can love the world. We lose how you can love the community. We lose how you can love the community, Zay. Do you understand? When we're competing, we lose it. In college, you can sit down. In college, student body president, started in ministry, preached in chapel, got engaged before graduating, got a dream job at a mega church. I was competitive. Competitive, competitive, competitive. And it led to death. Right? My life fell apart. Fell apart. Because I was addicted to competition. I hadn't learned that I didn't need to look to the left and the right. I had to gaze upon Jesus. So loving one another is subdued in competition. Subdued in competition. You have this beautiful uh, stained glass windows, right? The beauty of these stained glass windows or vibrant gold next to vibrant green or blue, this Jesus one right here, vibrancy next to the red of his robe, right? That's what's beautiful about stained glass windows. When we compete, 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 we try to become more and more like each other. And that's my uh, timer to stop preaching. We become more like each other and we actually muddy the waters and we don't make much of Jesus and what he's made us to be. We lose our witness. My daughter Eden paints and when it starts, it's clear colors, yellow, red, green, right? Corolla watercolors. But after she keeps painting, it's about brown, right? When you compete, the church just gets muddy. 
You just all want to look like Dr. Baldwin or look like Zach. And we lose the vibrancy next to vibrancy. These beautiful stained glass windows. So in closing, three words I want to leave you with. And then I'm back here next week. And I live in Lexington so we can grab coffee. What is the solution? Pride takes away from loving one another. Comparison takes away loving from one another. Competition takes away loving one another. Three words, gratitude, gift, and gaze. Gratitude, gift, and gaze. You cannot be prideful if you're the most grateful person in the room. Do you know that? On the front of my Bible, you can't really see it, it's grateful over gifted. So when any time I come preach, anywhere I go, I know I want to be the most grateful person in the room. I don't need to be the most gifted person in the room. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gave me through my wife, the specific Bible. If you're grateful and you know where all this came from, when you know that without Jesus, without the help of your friends and families where you'd be, gratitude busts pride in the mouth. Then you understand it as a gift, right? Do you understand that all that you bring to the table, tennis, soccer, compassion, friendliness, Yusuf, all that is a gift. You don't get to strum that up. You might practice and train and lift and get out on the court, but that's a gift. The brilliance of all the professors here, that's a gift. They worked hard, they went to school, but it's a gift. So when they don't look at it as a gift, they can grow in pride. And last but not least, who are you looking at? Are you looking to your left and your right? Are you looking at your parents to make them proud? Are you looking at your brother so you can be just at least better than that guy? Is your gaze upon Jesus? To become love in action, we need more gratitude. We need to understand all this is a gift, and our eyes need to be on Jesus. Amen? Don't get caught up in competition, comparison, and pride. As long as I'm around and invited, I'm, gonna, I'm mad dog mirror creeps, right, Sheldon? I'm going to bark at that stuff. We don't got no room for that. Be fierce for one another. Gratitude, gift, and gaze, all right? We'll see you guys next week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active that it's not old and dusty and meant to be on a shelf. It teaches us how to love people. It teaches us how we can thrive in life. It teaches us how to become love in action. So would we honor your word? Would it be fierce against comparison and competition? Would it be fierce against pride? And would we understand this is all gift? We're grateful, Lord, and our eyes upon you. And we all said, amen. Thanks.